Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. As a prophetic person, I don't always do this, but at times I will do this. When I sense a shift, which I did in 2018, going into 2019, I don't know about you, but I could tell something was shifting in the spirit. And I said, Lord, what kind of season are we in? And I know for a lot of people, 2018 was a bit of a tough year. Anyone relate to that? It wasn't necessarily that it was bad, but it was one of those years where there were some trials, there were some tribulations, there was some unexpected warfare. Anyone relate to that in 2018? And I heard the Lord say 2019 was going to be a year of it all coming together. It was going to be a year of the fragmented parts of your life, meaning the things that you have gone through, the things that you have walked through, the things that you've understood or maybe not understood, where you're going, God, I know I've followed you, I know I've listened to you. I know that I've sought you. I know I'm smack dab in the middle of your will, but I didn't expect it to go like that. I didn't expect this to happen. I didn't expect it to look like this. And I heard the Lord say this year in 2019, it's going to be a year of it all coming together. It's going to be a year of promise. I heard the Lord say, this is a year that it's going to be what the term is a long time coming promises and things that you have been contending for things that you've been believing for for, things that you've been fasting and praying for. I heard the Lord say, this is the year you're going to see it all come together. 2019 is a year of promise. And I heard the Lord say, let your warfare prophesy to you. Let the area of your attack be the area of your greatest influence. And those aren't just hype words. Those aren't words that's like, oh, it just sounds good to get people to amen. No, those are things of, I believe I heard in the spirit. The Lord saying, come on, church. Come on, sons and daughters. Know who I am and know the story that I'm writing in your life. I have a question for you. Who, who in this room, you have some siblings? You know, we weren't, we didn't make the choice what family we were born into, did we? And for some of us, that's good. And for some of us, that's a bit of a challenge. It just depends on your experience. But in the area of siblings, do I have any youngest children in the room? Do I have any babies in the family? Okay, I see you. I am one too. I know we get a bad rap. I know. But actually, we aren't all that spoiled that people think we are. Maybe a little bit, but not a ton. I want you to know as a youngest child, there is systems and protocols and rules that you were born into that you didn't necessarily have a say about. Some of those areas that I saw in my family were things like who got the front seat if mom or dad weren't there and there was a front seat that was available in the car. As a youngest child, it was communicated very quickly to me that if mom or dad weren't there, there was a front seat that was available, the oldest sibling that was present would get that front seat. Anyone relate to that? So I like, can I tell you, I never got the front seat because someone was always there. And if a sibling wasn't there, a dog or a cat were there. Like, you know, it was like everyone got it but me. That same rule applied to, to the TV. If mom and dad weren't actually using our black and white sweet TV, that's right, I just dated myself. If they weren't using that, then my sister, my oldest sister, would then select what us kids were going to watch, whether I wanted to watch it or not. And if she wasn't there, then my middle sister would choose. And again, if no one wanted to watch the TV, the dog or the cat did not want to watch the TV, then I actually had the opportunity to choose what I actually wanted to watch. Can anyone relate to this? And for those times, I went along with it. 
You're right? It was like, that's fine. This is the ex expectation. These are the rules in the family. I'll, I'll go with it. But then one day, I was confronted with the choice of free will. And the choice of free will came down when my sister informed me that as I'm eating my ice cream cone, because I come from an ice cream family, we love ourselves some Dairy Queen. Can anyone relate to that? The soft serve swirl dipped in either butterscotch or chocolate. Yes, can I get an amen? Thank you, thank you. So as I'm eating it, you know, the whole thing that's so great about a soft serve cone is as you're eating it, it's getting down in the handle of the cone and it gets really kind of mushy, but it's still intact, but it's like the best bite. Can anyone relate to it? It's like the center cut bite of the steak. It's like you're working toward that moment. Like I was about it. Well, I hadn't known that there was a structure that was already in place that was happening. My middle sister had been giving her, uh, my oldest sister, the handle of the cone for quite some time. She informed me that today was my day of duty and that I would be giving her my handle of my cone. And I remember when she informed me of this new rule and this new expectation that I would be giving up my ice cream cone, I remember my first thought was get behind me, Satan. And then my second was, I have agreed to all these other things. But you know what? This one, mm -mm. no, I'm not agreeing to this. This is called the exercising the free will. I remember I made the choice and I stuck the whole cone, the rest of it in my mouth while I made eye contact with my sister and chewed every single bite and enjoyed it. And that was my message to her that she was never going to get one ounce of my cone because that was my ice cream cone. Can anyone relate to that? Why am I sharing with you these kind of funny stories? Because I believe there are systems that we were born into in our family that God's saying those things can't be brought into 2019 with you. There are systems and structures that you have learned that you thought, well, this is just normal. This is the way my family is. This is what's happened to me. This is what my family has done to me. Or maybe this is what I've done to my family. There are issues in our family line and it's just the way it is. I want you to know that in 2019, God is going to reconcile and restore things that have been lost, broken, and disbanded specifically in the area of covenant relationships and family structures. God is so passionate about family. He is so passionate about covenant. Talk about knowing what it is to be born into a dysfunctional family. Anyone that knows the story of Joseph knows he was born into one of the most dysfunctional families. Having a dream as a young man, just to recap his story briefly, he had a dream that he was going to be a man of influence, that there was going to be people bowing to him. He was going to be a man that would be a ruler, so to speak. And when he shared this God dream with his brothers and even his father, they were offended at the God dream in his life. They were offended at the revelation he walked in. Why? Because when you have a revelation of your purpose and your destiny, but you share it with people that don't have theirs, they often don't know how to handle it. And it can be viewed, misconstrued as arrogance when it's actually just a humble, godly encounter that he had. Are you understanding this? See, Joseph was born into dysfunction. And we're going to talk about Joseph in a bit. But Joseph's brothers, they had such a hatred in their heart that their hatred turned to murder. 
They couldn't handle their brother believing that he could actually be something great because in their family line, people weren't great. And when you have a family structure that's dysfunctional, when you have a family structure that you just survive, when you have a family structure of divorce and your marriage is thriving, haters want to hate. When you have a structure of atheism or unbelief, when you become a person of faith, what do they want to do? They want to tear you down. See, but God wants to rework the family structures. But Joseph's brothers didn't know what to do with this oddball of the family. This, quote, unquote, he was viewed as the black sheep of the family. So rather than deal with it, rather than try to understand it, they sold him into slavery. The first recording of human trafficking in the word of God. They sell him into slavery, but they don't know that their horrific actions, God's actually going to create one of the greatest narratives in scripture. But see, they sell him into slavery. They go about their business. They go back, communicate with dad that their brother was killed. So the father, for their entire life until years later, believed that the son was killed by a wild animal. And they live with this guilt and they live with this pain until one day there's a famine in the land. The father hears that there is food in Egypt and he says to the sons, go to Egypt and get us food. If you do not get us food, we're all going to perish. We're all going to die. So the brothers are about their father's business, meaning they're going to Egypt to get food. They think this is just a normal trek to pay for food, to receive food. It's just very practical. But who knows when God is writing your story, what seems like just a normal day can have a burning bush moment anytime that when you are following God and you have a storyline that he is writing throughout your lifetime, what seems like just a trek to go get some food and a practical thing, nothing spiritual about it, ends up being a reuniting with a long lost brother. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis 50. And as you're turning to Genesis 50, let me just recap a little bit more of what we're walking into in this part of scripture. See, in, in Genesis 45, that's where the reuniting happens between Joseph and his long lost brothers. He learns that dad's alive. He brings the whole family. He says, hey, I forgive you. I know that you intended to harm me. But God put me here in position to save the lives of thousands. Go get dad. Come to Goshen. Let me take care of you. Let me provide for you. So they've been living reunited. They've been living back in relationship, so to speak. But then something happens. And that's where we're going to read. In chapter 50, verse 15 through 21. I'm reading out of the New Living this morning. It says, but now their father was dead. Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, he, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and he wept. Then his brothers came and they threw themselves down before Joseph. And they said, look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me. Say comma. Say comma. One more time. Say comma. But God. This morning, we're going to be focusing on the but God of this statement. Intended it all for good. 
He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. No, don't be afraid, for I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. See, they had been reunited in chapter 45. But here in chapter 50, even though it's five verses, five verses later in scripture, chronologically, it's 17 years later. From the reuniting to the death of Jacob is 17 years. So for 17 years, they've been doing life, so to speak, with Joseph again. The family has been put back intact. And what looks like a, reunite, a reuniting is simply just that. There's a reuniting, but there's no reconciliation. See, this whole time, the brothers have been expecting the wrath from their brother Joseph. They've been expecting the wrath because they know what they did was wrong. They know that they intended to harm him. They know that they wanted to murder their brother. They're expecting their brother at some point in their lifetime to get them back. And even though he took, brought them to Goshen, even though he's been taking care of them through the famine and 10 years additional after the famine, he's been treating them good. They haven't even been able to see his acts of kindness for what they are. All they're doing is waiting for the vengeance and the wrath because they never understood the forgiveness. See, God wants to reconcile us but often all we are satisfied or we think available to us is being reunited with God. But I want you to know we're not called to be like Joseph's brothers. We're not called just to be reunited with God. We're called to be reconciled with God. That means covered by the blood of the lamb. That means totally washed and washed clean. That means forgiven. And that means the statement, you intended to harm me, is no longer what we're held to. It's the but God, comma. See, Joseph's brothers kept waiting for the wrath, and they had a false security blanket. Let's call it a substitute security blanket. You might relate to that a little better. Their security blanket was as long as dad is alive, we are safe. As long as dad's alive, Joseph, our brother, respects dad too much. He won't hurt us. He won't kill us. He won't take vengeance on us. As long as dad is alive, we're good. When dad died, all their insecurities rushed to the surface. Why? Because all of a sudden they're now exposed and they're forced to deal with the vulnerability of the lack of reconciliation. Sometimes in our lives, we think when our security blankets get ripped out, Relationships leave, someone walks out on us. We lose a job, we get let go. We get a diagnosis, something happens, and all of a sudden our security blanket of life gets removed. We think it's cruel, but actually it could be the greatest blessing. Because when you have your false source removed, you then have the opportunity to experience Jesus as your actual source. And when the storms of life come, you will no longer oscillate back and forth as an emotional roller coaster. Because when you're a king's kid, you do not have to live on an emotional roller coaster. It doesn't matter what report comes your way. But when you know who your king is, and you know who your source is, you have have nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. Why? Because he is a good father and he always finishes everything that he started. See, what we view as cruel, what we view as vulnerable and insecure actually could be the greatest blessing because it gives you an encounter with your creator. You don't experience the redeemer unless you need to be redeemed. Redeemed. 
You don't experience the restore unless you need to be restored. You don't experience the deliver unless you need to be delivered. See, you don't experience the healer unless you need to be healed. See, they didn't even know they probably needed this because when you have a false comfort, you're not even aware of your insecurities until that thing is removed. See, Joseph's brothers were good just being reunited, but see, our God wanted reconciliation because he was after a family line and he was after a destiny. See, the brothers didn't have the concept of sonship. They didn't have the concept of family. They were still holding themselves hostage to the statement, you intended to harm me. They were still holding themselves hostage to what they had done against their brother and they kept waiting for the wrath. You know what that is? That's karma. And did you know that you and I do not serve a karma God? There are so many people in the church where they wouldn't necessarily say this is true, but if you're really honest, you think you're just waiting to get what you think you deserve. I want you to know we have a Jesus, a Savior, who died on the cross at Calvary for you and I who ripped the veil so you and I could have direct access with our master, our creator, and our father. And in that direct access, the blood that was shed created a blood covenant for you and I that we can be fully forgiven, washed clean, redeemed, and restored. Not living from the statement you intended to harm me, but in full grace and mercy. See, karma doesn't include grace. That's what the world's missing. Karma is you get what you deserve. No, no, no. In the kingdom of God, if you and I got what we deserve, none of us would be going to heaven. But it's because of the sacrifice of what he did on the cross. See, sometimes we just think that being reunited with God is good. No, friends, he is looking for full reconciliation. He did not give his only son to die on the cross so that you could just be around him. He wanted you to be one with him. See, Joseph's brothers didn't understand that they didn't have to live from a place of what they had done and what they deserved. They lived from a place from what he did. Earlier, I had you repeat after me, comma, because that's really where I want to go this morning with the time left. That statement, you intended to harm me, comma, but God intended it all for good. I felt like the Lord wanted me to bring this morning that he's putting a comma back in some of your stories. You have felt like there's a period at the end of some of your stories. Some of your decisions, maybe they weren't the best. Maybe they weren't the greatest. I want you to know that's okay. There's the grace of God. I'm not giving you permission to do whatever you want to do. I'm simply giving you permission to access the full covenant that Jesus has died on the cross for you. So many times we think we don't deserve it. We think we don't deserve reconciliation, restoration, redemption, or even healing. But nothing could be farther from the truth. When I ran schools of ministry, it was interesting. When I would go after covenant, when I would go after identity, and I would begin to teach on these things, without fail, I would have students come and knock on the door. And it became like a confessional process. And, and they would say the things to me that they thought were unredeemable, were unforgivable. And they would say things like, I've had an abortion. Can God still use me? Can God forgive me? 
My question, have you asked for forgiveness? Yes, I've asked for forgiveness. Well, then you're reconciled. Well, then you're forgiven. And I want to speak to the woman who's had an abortion or the man that's participated in, his, in, in the woman in his life having an abortion. And I want to say to you that God can give you the most beautiful marriage, the most incredible family. He can give you children. That womb can still bear children. An abortion doesn't define or disqualify you from having a happy family life. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Why? Because we serve a but God. That's where the comma comes in. We are not held in hostage from our bad decisions. But if, could you believe that we serve a God that actually writes the narrative with some of the most horrific decisions we've ever made? He didn't make the decisions, but God can write a narrative that uses all things for his glory. I would have a student come and knock on the door. And I had many students that this was, was reality. And they'd say, I have an STD. Can God heal that? And I turned to them and I said, it's amazing how if you make the decision and you made some decisions and it was a consequence of the decisions you made, you contracted an STD. That you think somehow, some way, that disqualifies the blood of the lamb from reaching you. But I want you to know, if you have an STD this morning, or you somehow have a consequence where it's connected with shame for you or a bad decision, I want you to know there is a comma that is written in your story. And it's God's signature move. He loves to come in there where the enemy wants to hold you hostage with shame, with regret and pain. God wants to not only set you free, he wants to say, can I use that? Can I use your place that's your weakness? Can I use the place that it shows that you're not at your best to show my glory, my kindness, and my goodness? See, we don't serve a karma God. We serve a God that has a comma. See, Joseph had all of these things done to him. His brothers were the perpetrators. But what about Joseph? All this stuff was done to him. How does he reconcile that? He was able to reconcile it and say sweet in the spirit because he understood he had a purpose. When you have a purpose, you know there's always a comma in your story. When you have a purpose, you know there's never a period at the end of a trial, a tribulation, a bad decision. There's ne it's never over. When God has a purpose, his plans and purposes, he will finish everything he has started. The plans and purposes of God will not be thwarted by the enemy. See, Joseph understood his life was one big comma because he understood he had a massive purpose. Let me just read to you some of the events of Joseph's life and listen for the comma. He was sold into slavery, comma. He was promoted to run Potiphar's house, comma. He was falsely accused of rape, comma. He was sent to prison on false charges, comma. He was promoted to oversee the jail, comma. He interpreted two dreams in the jail, comma. He was forgotten for two more years in prison, comma. He was promoted to second in command over all of Egypt, comma, when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, comma. He saved the lives of thousands because of the strategy the Lord gave him during the seven-year famine, including his own family, comma. He is reconciled with his family and relationships are restored, comma. He broke a family curse and changed the course of history, exclamation point. 
every one of those trials, every one of those tribulations, he would have maybe felt justified of being like, you know what? I'm out. This is too hard. I give up. I'm going to blame God. I'm going to blame them. It's their fault my life's turned out this way. Sure, they definitely have some responsibility in the hardship of everything he went through, no doubt. But there was nothing victim about Joseph because he understood God was still going to use even the parts of warfare, trials, suffering, and difficulty. He was still going to use it as a part of the greater narrative of God's glorious story through Joseph's life. To be one of the greatest deliverers of a nation came from some of the greatest trials and suffering. Some of you have been through some horrific situations in your life. And maybe some of you are in a difficult place in your life right now. I want you to know how you respond to trials, tribulations, and difficulty and suffering will determine your destiny. That's not an easy statement to receive, I understand. I've had a lot of my own warfare, trials, and suffering in my own life. Trust me, this is not coming from a place of inexperience. But I want you to know every time the enemy has gone after things in my life, or I have been blindsided, and I have been taken off guard, I come back to, oh, but God, you have called me to preach your gospel. Oh, but God, you have called me to be a deliverer to people that are in captivity. Oh, Lord, you have called me to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Lord, you have called me to take back what the enemy has stolen. You have called me to overtake regions and territories. Why? Because I'm a part of the kingdom of God, and we were born for such a time as this. I refuse to get taken out. There has to be a posture in us as sons and daughters where we say the curses of our family line are broken and we are the ones that are going to change the narrative of what God is writing in our family line. Joseph was that person. He could have repeated behavior. I'll quickly hit this. It's just such a key point. Jacob... Joseph's father and the father of all these sons. His twin brother was Esau. Esau and Jacob had a tumultuous relationship. Esau being the firstborn was supposed to have a firstborn blessing and a firstborn inheritance. Through a sequence of events, Joseph stole both. He stole the blessing and he stole the inheritance. Esau hated his brother, Jacob. He wanted to kill him. Jacob had to flee for his life. He gets married, he has all these sons, and then this son Jacob has a dream. He shares it with the family, and all the brothers hate their brother, and now they want to murder their brother. Sound familiar? The details are different, the generational curse is the same. Division and brokenness between brothers, hatred and murder between brothers. But what was different between Esau and Jacob, the ones that had been wronged? See, how the story went was dependent on the person who had been wronged. Esau came with vengeance. Joseph came with forgiveness. And because he came with forgiveness, 
He broke a generational curse of hatred, division, and murder, and he became the greatest deliverer the family had ever seen. He broke the storyline that no one great comes from this family. He broke the storyline of victim in this family line. He broke the story of jealousy, comparison, and envy. All because of how he responded to adversity. Following Jesus does not guarantee you that you will not have adversity, but it does guarantee you resiliency through the adversity. Resiliency is one of our greatest weapons we have as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. It would have been so easy for Joseph to peace out. And people would have been like, I get it, for real. But when you know you have a purpose, there's a resolve in you of resiliency that says, I'm not going to get taken out. I'm not going to let you get my marriage enemy. Oh, devil, you're not having my kids. Because that family curse is broken of prodigal children. Divorce is broken in my family line. The spirit of infirmity is broken. I'm not going to deal with that. Mental insanity is broken. Bipolar is broken. Depression is broken. Not in my family line. And you have a resiliency and a resolve that says, God, I may not understand that you meant to harm me. I may not get that. You don't have to get it. All you have to do is get in position and say, oh, but God, I know you're writing a comma in my story. I know you're not finished. The enemy thinks I'm finished, but God, I'm not finished because I know I have a purpose. I know I have a destiny. I know I made those decisions, but God, you're not done with my story. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.